Today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit inherent eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. And when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. We're in this current sermon series called Stories Worth Repeating, and every holiday, today's a holiday, in case you didn't know, right? And every holiday, my family gets together, and when they get together, there are stories that are shared. And it seems there's always a few stories that I would rather not hear, because mainly I am the focal point of the story. But year after year, these stories are shared time and time again, and they're passed down to the next generation. My brother, who is 13 years in age uh, less than me, he now knows the stories. I'm sure my son Xavier, who's almost four, will soon hear these stories, and he'll be able to pass them down. And around the dinner table, the holiday dinner table with my family, you are bound to hear at least one of the good old family stories, like the time when my aunt's hairdryer flew out the bathroom window and ended up on the driveway, almost hitting my grandmother as she got out of her car. She didn't intentionally throw the hairdryer at my grandma. I just want to be up front with you, but that's one of the stories. Or the other story, like how when my mom had picked me up from kindergarten to take me to a doctor's appointment, and before we headed to that doctor's appointment, we needed to to stop by the house to get a form for the doctor to sign. She left me in the car. Don't worry, the windows were down. There was no keys in the ignition, but I wanted to drive, and I was five. And so I got in the driver's seat. Kids, don't do this got in the driver's seat, and I pushed, pushed that, uh, the clicker on the shifter, that knob, and I pulled it back from P to D, and then I started rolling down the driveway and ended up in the neighbor's swamp. I got out of kindergarten for the day, so that was pretty sweet. Or another story, 
On Mother's Day, when I was eight months old, my aunt tells me that I was put into the baby walker by her, and it was one of those baby walkers that had the bottom open and the wheels along the side, and as my aunt put me in there, she forgot to set the brake. And so I began to move around the kitchen into the living room and the dining room, and they were still in the kitchen cleaning up Mother's Day brunch. And wouldn't you know it? By not saying the break, I was able to go wherever I wanted to at eight months old. And so I ventured into the adjacent living room, and a couple of minutes had passed by, and my aunt says that she could only hear some some faint whimpering and some groaning or, or whatever. But after breakfast was all cleaned up, her and my grandmother came into the living room, and they found me as I had walked away from them. But there I was, with my knees to my chest and feet wiggling over my head at eight months old, looking like a swimmer that was about to meet the water, crying and crying and crying. Meanwhile, my aunt, she says that uh, she did, she rushed to my care and concern and then she just broke out in great laughter. Stories that kind of make us who we are, even if we're not even old enough to know about them. There's stories that we carry with us time and time again, stories that are part of my life and part of my family's life. We as a people are a storied people. We have stories of where we've been, where we're going, and where we are currently at. There are stories that have been written down and passed down from generations to generation, and other stories are still being written. Contained in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are 55 stories, 55 parables, 55 teachings that Jesus shared with his disciples, giving an understanding or a glimpse into what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is really like. And out of those 55 parables, 31 of them are unique to those respective Gospels, while 24 are similar and shared amongst the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Gospel of John doesn't have any stories, any parables like that of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because he's more focused on the imagery of Jesus. He's more focused on portraying Jesus as the Son of God who has come to save the world. Fulfillment of the long-awaited Messiah that would usher the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. All throughout Jesus' parables, they're not exactly what people had thought. They're not what people had expected. They went against the grain of society. Jesus had used everyday common examples to show what the kingdom of God is really like. But Jesus, both himself and his parables, were not what they had expected. Nowhere in the Gospels are people, especially the disciples, saying, ah, yes, this is exactly what I thought the kingdom of God would be like. Ah, yes, this is exactly what I thought the Messiah would look like. Yes, everything that comes out of Jesus' mouth is exactly what I thought. No. This isn't the Messiah that we had expected. He doesn't fulfill any of our messianic hopes. No way. It can't be him. This is not the Christ, is it? This is not the Messiah, but he is. Christ comes and fulfills our messianic hope, even if it's not the stuff that we hope for. 
Jesus told parables to get us to make a choice. And in choosing, where do we decide and where do we side? In the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, or our own kingdom? In our scripture passage, as Jeannie read for this morning, a teacher, the, the lawyer, a, a religious expert, asks Jesus, the teacher, Teacher, what must I do to gain or inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus, as he so often does, he turns the question back on the lawyer. Well, you're the expert here. You know the ins and the outs of the law. What, what do you think? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? You tell me. And the lawyer answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Great answer. He was quoting from Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul, your mind and your strength. And then from Leviticus 19, he's quoting, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Great answer, Jesus says. Do this and you will live. But that's not enough for the lawyer. He needs something deeper. Well, who is my neighbor? He asked Jesus. That was important for him. Not only being a lawyer, but it was important for him as a first century Sadducee or Pharisee. He wanted to be a good rule follower. He, he wanted to know who his neighbor was and who he had to love, who was in and who was out. There was this belief of first century Judaism that if you followed the law to an exact T, you dotted your I's and you crossed your T's, that God, if you followed that law, God would show up in the temple. That's why the Pharisees got so uptight. That's why the Sadducees got so uptight when Jesus was breaking the law because he was doing it on the Sabbath. He was disobeying the law by doing work. And so the lawyer in the scripture passage from Luke, he wants to understand exactly what the law says and to clearly define who his neighbor was. Is his neighbor the one to the left or one to the right? Is his neighbor the one who is in front of him or behind him, adjacent to him or around the corner in a different cul-de-sac or on a different road, maybe in a different town? What about the Romans? Are they really his neighbor? How far does this neighbor thing really go? He wants to know. He wants to look for an excuse, maybe for his behavior or the negative feelings towards the people who are not like him. He needed an explanation of who his neighbor is because he wanted to know who exactly he had to love and who exactly could he exclude. And so he asked a question, a question we so often ask ourselves, who is our neighbor? Is it fellow Christians, fellow Israelites, Fellow Americans, fellow Jews, is my neighbor someone who looks like me and thinks like me and acts like me and loves like me and smells like me and speaks the same language as me, has the same skin tone and skin color as me? Or does my neighbor live in a different country or maybe in a different state or in a different town? Does my neighbor sitting in the same pew as me? Is my neighbor even in the same church as me? Is my neighbor a Browns fan or a Steelers fan? Is my neighbor a Commander's fan or a Cowboys fan? Listen, at 8.15, there was a boo when I said Cowboys, so (laughs) I'm still growing at this whole Virginia thing. 
It's trying to learn out who the rivals are, but that's a rival, right? Okay, just, just want to get clear. I, I won't wear Dallas Cowboys attire when I'm here <laughs> because I'm not really a fan. Go Browns. Is my neighbor a Nationals fan or is my neighbor an Orioles fan? Is my neighbor a Capitals fan or a Penguins fan? Is my neighbor a Republican or a Democrat or maybe even an Independent? Who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love and who can I oppose? And so Jesus, as he so often does, he he responds with a question, a story. He turns it on the person who's asking the question. And it's a story that probably resonated with the lawyer a little bit as he had likely traveled this road before from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jesus says a man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a 20-mile trip, about 20 miles, give or take, that would take nearly eight hours on foot. It was a winding path with treacherous, horrible terrain that had a descent of nearly 3,400 feet. Many places for robbers and thieves and bandits to hide. If you were an individual or maybe you were a part of a small group, it was a great risk risk to travel down this road and one singular man did it. And what happened? He was mugged and he was beaten and he was left on the side of the road for dead. And while lying there, Jesus says, while lying in the ditch left for dead, he was passed by by two representatives from two different religious groups of that day, a priest and a Levi. And there this man is lying, dying, hurting, and there they are. And they chose not to help. They crossed by via the other side of the road to avoid contact altogether. To their credit, for the priest and the Levite, for the priest, the ultimate authority controlling all of his actions, what he was to do and what he was to say was the temple. This meant that if he was to encounter the man who was left for dead, it would make him unclean and unable to do his God-given job, his God-given role. He was within his rights. It was okay that he didn't interact. Or was it? For the Levite, it was the law that was controlling everything, every act, every movement that he made. And there were different problems, different entanglements, different ramifications. If he was to interact with a stranger who was dead, lying on the side of the road, half dead, it was okay that he didn't get involved with the stranger, the one who is lying in the road, because that would make him unclean. Or is it? Will this story from Jesus, will this story have a hero, or are we just going to end in a cliffhanger? This mugged guy that's dead, almost dead, he's clinging to life, and he's been beat up, and he's been left for dead. How much longer can this guy really last? He's been lying in the ditch for quite some time. The heat has been pushing down and beating down on him and he's helpless and he's clinging to life. And he hears more footsteps coming only to think to himself that someone is going to pass him by yet again. He hears the footsteps of what could be his last hope. And he sees who's coming towards him and that's who. A little bit louder. 
a Samaritan. No, not a Samaritan, I imagine the lawyer and the crowds saying and yelling in protest. No, not a Samaritan. They were the outsiders to the insider group. They have been looked down upon. They had been seen as heretics, racial mixers, even rumored to be insiders working with Rome. But yet it's this Samaritan who goes out of his way and comes and meets the man who's lying half dead where he's at. And he has compassion on him. He took care of the man who was lying half dead and poured oil and wine on his wounds and then dropped him off at the nearest inn. And then he gave enough money for not just one day, but two weeks worth of care and told the innkeeper that he would come and give any further costs that he incurs. Jesus is really making this lawyer mad. I want you to know that. He's really pushing his buttons, challenging his prejudice making him face the reality of his hardened heart. You might have noticed at the end when Jesus asked the lawyer, which of the three who encountered the man left for dead was a neighbor to him? Jesus reverses the question. It's no longer who is my neighbor, but who is a neighbor to me? And the expert begrudgingly answers, the one who showed him mercy. The lawyer doesn't even want to say that it was a Samaritan. He doesn't even want to use that word. The one who showed him mercy. There was a great hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, and this has been going on for over 700 years. The Jews had thought that the Samaritans were half-breeds and sellouts to the invading armies, while the Samaritans had thought that the Jews, they couldn't be God's chosen people because they had left the promised land to begin with. Samaritans were located in Samaria, right? And Jews would go at least a day's trip around Samaria just so they didn't have to interact with those evil, pesky Samaritans. The feeling was mutual. They didn't want anything to do with each other. But even still, the lawyer responded to who was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers, and he said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. With those four words, Jesus reframes the question, who is my neighbor? A question about who is in and who is out to a question about who is deserving of love and who is not. A question about who we don't need to bother with and who we do need to bother with, including versus excluding. And Jesus takes a deep, long look at this man by calling him to look not at just others, but look at yourself. It's about whether you are a brother and a sister. It's not about whether you are a neighbor to the other person. It's about your actions to all of those around you. Not just those who think and look and act and love and believe like you. You don't need to know if that other person is a neighbor or not. You need to be a neighbor. Jesus told parables, and especially this parable, to get us to choose the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, or our own kingdom. The same choice continues for us today. Are we trying to build our own kingdoms, or are we so focused on God's will and God's kingdom and God's plan? Do we interiorize our faith to make ourselves feel secure, or do we get outside of our comfort zone into a world that has bloody bandages and sweaty brows? 
and greasy hands that we put sandwiches into? Do we just interiorize our faith or do we live it out? To act as the Good Samaritan is to act as Jesus to another in need. Each of those who passed by, the Levite and the priest, they had legitimate reasons, and I know I would have mine too for passing by. But Jesus calls us to intentionally live out the kingdom of God. He healed and he harvested and he even forgave on the Sabbath. He touched the unclean and he made them whole. He even raised the dead on the Sabbath. And he took up a cross and he gave it his life there for us. Even when we didn't quite get it. Taking the kingdom of God seriously is about shifting our faith. From interior to exterior. It involves risk and action and it costs us something. It costs us looking beyond ourselves and truly loving our neighbor that is, whoever comes across our path. This morning you might see someone who needs a cold cup of water, maybe some hot coffee, maybe you know someone who needs a couple of minutes to spend talking on the phone, or somebody who has a need at a store, a great trip to the store, or, or maybe you know somebody who needs just your afternoon undivided attention. And if you want to do something extraordinary... You can live as if you were like Jesus, moving from believing to doing, putting substance to your discipleship and taking the kingdom of God seriously. Friends, I believe that's why you're here this morning. You've been met by a God that you didn't expect. And you and your predicaments have been saved by a Savior who reached down in whatever ditch you laid in and God saved you bound up your wounds, and restored you to health. It wasn't the God you expected, but it was the God that you needed. That's good news, amen? That God reaches out and cares for us and loves us, even when we don't want it and even when we don't expect it. And those are the stories that are worth repeating. Those are the stories that transform us and change us and make us into who we are. Those are the stories of us. You and I, we all have a story. And you and I, as the people of Ebenezer, as a collective story, is still being written. God continues to poke us and prod us, and God continues to transform us into the disciples that we are called to be. Amen?